Welcome back, Six Overtimes friends. I am Chaz Wagner. Joining me in Doylestown, PA, is Scott Wildermuth. What's up, my friend? Hey, man. Not too much. Uh, I hear you're in Pittsburgh. Welcome back to the great state of PA. I am in the great state of Pennsylvania. However, I am on the other side of the state, the better part of the Ooh. state, western Pennsylvania. I don't know about that. The rolling hills of southwestern PA. <laughs> well, regardless of which side is better, uh, we're happy to have you back in the Keystone State, my man. The turkey tastes good no matter where you are in Pennsylvania. Exactly. Am I right? Oh, yeah, exactly. And tryptophan uh, crosses all borders. Yes, it does. As, as, as we saw... Uh, in our personal lives and uh, across Big East basketball. Am I right, Scott? Yeah, I mean, tryptophan did a number on me. Uh, I always have an annual eating competition with my brother on uh, Thursday, and he absolutely just crushed me for the third year in a row. It's, it's getting ugly. Now, where did he get you? Turkey, the, the side dishes, or, or this was just a, an all-out assault on... Uh on your manhood it was an all-out assault but mostly i just hit a brick wall with that sausage stuffing ah, the, su- the sausage in the stuffing is probably what got you oh absolutely absolutely but you we- know everyone had that tryptophan hangover including some of these big east teams huh some of the big boys we, we had yukon going down in, in in a team that they should not be losing to in central florida we had Villanova going down twice, so they were sleepwalking uh, not once, but uh, a second game. We had Cincy, after losing a few weeks ago, they got some uh, pre-tryptophan, pre-Thanksgiving tryptophan, when they lost to Presbyterian, and they lost to Marshall the other night. And then we had St. John's lose to uh, Northeastern on, on Saturday, and, and uh, not good things for uh, some of these these were the teams that uh, were at the upper upper half of the Big East, Scott. Yeah, all tough losses for those four teams. But I think the biggest loss over the five-day break that we had was Timmy Abermitis is out for the season with a uh, torn ACL, I believe, in his left knee. Uh, preseason Big East player of the year. He's down for the Fighting Irish. Tough go for Timmy. Tough go for the Fighting Irish. A really, really brutal 48-hour stretch. Uh, Friday morning. Everyone wakes up from from thanks uh, after Thanksgiving this year of of Timmy be out for the year and then Saturday night um, the Irish go down to Stanford in what was uh, it was close for a little while in the second half and then uh, Stanford pulled away but it looks like Notre Dame may have found its uh, its quarterback for the future in in, in uh, for their football team in, in Andrew Hendricks. Yeah, well, how do you think the Abermitis uh, injury? hurts the fighting irish going forward i think it's probably the team that could least afford a big loss like this was the fighting irish what do you think yeah when we were looking at last week when they played in the cbe classic against uh, you know that when they went down in a in a blowout to missouri and then they lost the the night after that to georgia you got the sense that these guys were those first four games were just waiting and waiting and waiting for Abermitis to, to come back. And the the concern and what you need to be worried of is when you rely so much on one player, especially in basketball, that y- you forget how to work the ball around and play as a team and for other people to create their own shots and look for their own shots. And, and that's they didn't they they didn't prepare for this. Um, all, 
all preseason, they knew that Timmy was finally coming back and not to have him the rest of the year. Uh, I, I think it's, it's uh, Mike Bray is always known for 20 win years, Scott. I mean, that's 20, you know, he, he gets 20 wins. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening this year. Yeah, and it's going to be a tough go for the Irish this season, but I think in the long term, if you look a year or two out from here, it's going to help Jerry and Gran mm-hmm. and uh, Eric Atkins really develop as players that can stand on their own two feet. So hopefully uh, the development of those two guys this season will overshadow the loss of Abramitis this year. Yeah, and you always see when, when great players go down in in Pittsburgh here with Pittsburgh Sports, when Sid Crosby went out, it sucked. Nobody liked it. But the other guys, the role guys, by necessity, they are forced to step up and grow and mature. And hopefully that happens with uh, Eric Atkins and Joey Grant and some of these other guys. I mean, they just have to if, if they want to be, uh, be relevant in the Big East. But a team that, really tough news for the Irish, but a team that uh, noth- nothing but positive things from this Thanksgiving weekend um, to take from it is Syracuse. They won uh, the pre- man. They're good. They are Oof. damn good. Um, the, we keep talking about their bench, and uh, we saw that was that was apparent. Uh, at they were playing at the Garden, and I have never seen this many preseason games uh, <laughs> being played at the Garden, Scott. It. Uh, I, I'd like them to do the numbers. It's it's got you got to be able to look it up somewhere. But uh, with the NBA season not going on, not looking to start till end of December. Looks like every time you uh, every every night of the week there uh, there's a different preseason tournament being played at uh, at MSG. Yeah, they're taking advantage of such a fantastic venue where you can get all the lights on and all the cameras rolling, so you get the best talent in college basketball on TV as as frequently as you possibly can. It's really tremendous. So. Syracuse beat both Virginia Tech and Stanford uh, on its way to the preseason NIT championship. Uh, they beat Stanford by six and Virginia Tech by 11. And I think the the consistent factor through both of those games was that Chris Joseph is a man. He's very, very good. He's a man. <laughs> he is really good. He what I love about him is he can get a rebound, like a, a powerful rebound on the defensive end, go up against the, the tallest and the longest and the, the really athletic big men, can get a board, and this guy can take it the length of the court. I mean, uh, he, he's, he's, he's quick enough. He's, he, um, he's a slasher enough that he gets a board and he just takes the length of the court. And I just love that about him. He played 39 minutes on... Uh, uh, he went the distance on on Wednesday night for for Bayheim and the boys, and that they won sixty nine to fifty eight. And then uh, he played another another nice game on on Friday night in the, in the win. And uh, it looks uh, to be that Bayheim is is starting to trim down the roster quite a bit. Uh, yeah, it does gonna, seem that way. He's not going to play as many men, but you know, Chris Joseph is. <laughs> He's that guy's not losing any minutes th- throughout this. Yeah, Joseph's going to be in the lineup regardless of who's hot or who's not. Uh, he's their best player, and they depend on him. Another guy who you know I think we've been tracking at the six overtimes is going to be Fab Mello. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he's a defensive specialist. He's a guy that gets a lot of rebounds, and it seems that 
he altered a lot of shots in these two games. Uh, did you think the same, or what, what did you think of uh, Fab Mello? Yeah, he's really a sh- he is a shot blocker. Uh, that's that's his number one strength for sure. And I think he had he had five blocks on on Friday night, and I think he had three on, or I'm sorry, five on Wednesday night and three on on Friday night. But Van Gundy was was doing the game on uh, on Wednesday night because him. Mike Breen and Doris Burke were doing the game on Wednesday night. And Van Gundy brought up a great point, Scott. And it was this. He's great at shot blocking and really raw, talented big men coming out of high school. And especially him coming out of Brazil and not playing much organized hoops over the years. They can swat those shots easily and and, and get up against those lesser talented big men. But where he needs to get much better is on defensive rebounding because... He gets himself out of position by, by blocking those shots, but he blocks it, and then a, another guy might be right there for an easy putback. And Van Gundy really made a point like, hey, he's improved, he's more conditioned, better endurance, but he's really got to get in better position on the, the defensive end. And I, I really do agree with that, Scott. Yeah, Van Gundy's an excellent evaluator of talent, and he's usually you know, hitting the nail on the head with when it comes to basketball players, uh, especially big men. But I like yeah, what he, I he see. He definitely knows now. the stuff. I, I wish he was, uh, I wish he was doing more games, but it looks like in about a month, in about, uh, four weeks, he's going to be, he's going to be running off to, uh, be doing the NBA games again. Yeah. We'll lose him to him doing the Memphis Grizzlies game from night, night on to night up. The Grizz. Um, yeah. But you know, Melo is going to be an important cog in that Syracuse Orange uh, big man rotation. So he's pretty important. Uh, and there's a lot to take away from Syracuse Orange. And we'd like to see them win in the preseason NIT. Uh, another team that had a great five days, even though they only really played once, was Georgetown Hoyas mm-hmm. beating the number eight Memphis Tigers, 91-88. And boy, wasn't this a... Uh... This was a fun game to watch, right, Scott? This was a... Uh, oh, man, it was high tempo. Oh, it was great. Yeah, this was Wednesday. I mean, a 91-88 to 88 win. And, Scott, I didn't think that... I didn't think that Georgetown had this, this scoring and this, this athleticism to them. And, and, and what... Did, would you tend to agree with that from, from this Maui Invitational? Well, that's what we thought coming into the year, but after seeing them match up with Kansas, who has a great two guys, uh, Thomas Robinson and Tyree something or other, they matched up pretty well with those two guys. And against Memphis, they really matched up decently with the Memphis guards, even though that they uh, scored 42 points between Jackson and Barton. I was, I've been impressed with what Georgetown can do, and... It really starts with Henry Sims, who went for 24-8. and eight. He had a big game. And then they're getting a lot of they're getting a lot of folks just to contribute. Jason Clark had 26. Yeah. Alice Thompson had 12 and 7. You know, those those are good numbers for uh for good players. And the Hoyas are gonna go as those three go. Yeah, and what's the what's the upside with this team? I mean, really impressive showing in Maui. <laughs> Albeit a fifth place finish, that shows you how stacked and deep uh, Maui has been able to uh, attract these these really really good teams. But what's the seal? I mean, let's. I mean, they they could have a bad year. They could slip, and you know we don't want to talk about the downside. But where, you know, what's the upside? Where where can this team? Uh, where do you think this team can really uh, take it to this year? 
you know, I think at the t- at the top end of this conference, they can end up if they continue to play as well as they did in Maui. The only teams that I see to be better than them, hands down, is Connecticut and Syracuse through the mm-hmm. through the early goings. And you know, you can make arguments that Pittsburgh and Cincinnati might end up in a better situation, but. I can't argue that now. I think Georgetown could be in the top four at the end of the season in the Big East. Yeah, well, it's if you isolate a game and just looking at at it as a as a singular event, I think that certainly Georgetown can beat. Uh, you know, they can go up, they can hang with Pitt, they can hang with Cincy, they can hang with Louisville, but I think the talent level. And the experience and the depth, like you said, it, you you are correct, and it's not at the level that uh, UConn and Syracuse are. They are in that top tier of Final Four and national championship material. And but George Georgetown can be a, a very good team. Yeah, and I'm excited because the Hoyas were p- predicted to finish, I think, tenth or eleventh by the uh, preseason mm-hmm. media folks. So. It's a good start to the Hoyas season, and and hopefully it will continue as the year goes on. Um, yeah. And talking about one of those teams that you know, their Georgetown just isn't going to be as good as this season is the UConn Huskies, <laughs> who uh, ate a little too much turkey and dropped one to Central Florida. Yeah. The the when we talked tryptophan, I think it was definitely apparent in uh, in Huskyland. Where were they actually? Where was their preseason tournament, Scott? They they did. For everyone, they went down to Central Florida in the second game of three, in a in a in a in a holiday tournament, uh, sixty-eight to sixty-three. They went down to the Central Florida Knights. Yeah, in game one, they they uh, beat UNC Asheville by ten, and they beat Florida State in overtime by a deuce uh, to round out those three games. Yeah, but was this finally the culmination of? lack of focus and uh, attention to detail and, and just looking ahead to playing uh, bigger teams and, and being on you know the, the games that are going to be on ESPN and, and CBS and all that where they just simply looked past Central Florida and, and didn't take them seriously. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that was the case, but what happened to me is that they only went two for 18 from the three-point line. And they didn't really get enough points from Drummond and Oriaki and the folks inside, uh, even though those two guys combined for 27, Mm -hmm. to offset the fact that they missed 16 three-pointers. I I think that's the big negative takeaway from these guys. But I I think it was Marcus Jordan, who's, of course, the son of Michael, Mm -hmm. uh, who who led the Knights with 20 points, who really sort of stole the show but but how how do you how are you up 17 in the second half and you have Shabazz Napier and Jeremy Lamb and Andre Drummond and and the list goes on you're up by 17 in the second half and you lose to Central Florida come on they absolutely collapsed I mean Calhoun's got to be going nuts bananas (laughs) yeah exactly it's just not good um, and, you know, it comes right after Calhoun had said that UNC Asheville played harder than anyone had played in any game against them since the Butler game last year. I Maybe they got tired out from the win against Asheville, but... The, UNC Asheville beat them up. They, could, they just couldn't recover from UNC Asheville. Yeah, it's hard to believe, but... 
after the Central Florida loss, uh, they barely got away with a win against Florida State, and they needed three free throws from Ryan Boatwright, who hadn't played a single game this season uh, with less than 10 seconds left to tie the game and force overtime. But you gotta like the the debut of uh, this shifty, quick little guard, six foot freshman from where is it, Scott? It's from Aurora, Illinois, where uh, Wayne's World was uh, was <laughs> formed from there? over there. I, yeah, I don't know how big of a fan he is of Wayne's World. I hope a big one. A big one. Uh, I, I, everyone talked about how talented he was. We saw him. Um, you know, ice cold veins. He hit the what three free throws? Yeah, he was the line. Hit all three free throws with seven seconds left in in his first college game. So I'm pretty pumped uh, as as you are as well, Scott, to see this guy uh, throughout the year and, and compliment uh, Shabazz and and Jeremy in the backcourt. Yeah, it's like the rich getting richer. You know, UConn might have the best uh, guard tandem in college basketball, not just the Big East. And when they get Ryan Boatwright here as a third guard off the bench to spell either of them, I don't really think they lose too much, which is crazy to say. Yeah, if they had him in the, if they would, they may have boatrighted their way past uh, Central Florida. I see what you did there. If, if they had him the other night, I think, uh, I think, I think you would have. Your little Wayne's World magic and, and boat riding would have done it, but <laughs> yep. You know, tough loss for uh, tough loss for UConn, but uh, another team in the Big East uh, had several tough losses, Scott, and that was your your Villanova Wildcats. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm the uh, I'm the boyfriend of of the girl who keeps beating me up, and I keep going back to her. Um, you know, I keep thinking Villanova's going to pull away and get get a couple wins, and then they're just terribly disappointing. Uh, they started the five-day group with a 25 win over UC Riverdale, which really wasn't very close. Um, and then they went in and lost to St. Louis by 12, 80-68, and then they followed that up with a one-point loss to Santa Clara. Uh, it Santa Clara went on a 10 nothing run to close the game to get the W there. It was an ugly uh, five-day stretch for Villanova. Ugly. And I, I totally forgot that Rick Majerus was coaching until I saw that uh, when I was looking on the Big East page that, that Rick Majerus's, uh you know, sweet little picture was, was on there. And this wasn't, this wasn't even a, a game, Scott. Yeah. They, St. Louis... The, the Billikens controlled this this throughout, and they hit, what was it, 14 three-pointers? Yeah, and that was sort of... On the Wildcats, I mean, how... how I haven't heard a thing about St. Louis this in the preseason, and, and I didn't hear anything about them being sharpshooters or deadly from, from behind the arc. 14 threes is, is purely... Uh, I, can't, I can't even fathom that. Yeah, and to me, the big difference in this game is that... St. Louis shot 14 three-pointers, but the points weren't really made up by Villanova in any other uh, instance. They didn't come close to making that amount of threes or didn't get to the line enough to really counteract that. And it's sort of a theme of the two games that they lost here that they let uh, both teams shoot, I think, 25 of 52 from three-point line. And it's going to be hard to win games when you let up that many three-point attempts. 
Yeah, and then the San- Santa Clara game, I saw that Steve Nash tweeted out uh, he was he was congratulating his boys for the the upset victory over Villanova. Uh, Steve Nash, just a great great point guard for uh, Santa Clara back in back in the day. Yeah, uh, and another thing, Scott, that's that's uh, concerning to me, and I'm, I'm certain of you is is Dommy Cheek uh, really was a non-factor throughout this tournament. Uh, 10 point you know he he had two points five points and 10 points and never really never really got going and for this team to go he has to help wands and he has to help yaru and he has to be uh he has to be more aggressive and assertive yeah it's i couldn't believe that he just didn't show up in either of the first two games and he made an appearance in in the third but they're gonna need scoring out of someone and he's the guy. I, I don't understand how he's, he's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I don't understand how he's just disappearing. And when you don't get the kind of production that Villanova was hoping for from Javon Pinkston, or if Hilliard isn't around and scoring a ton of bu- buckets, they really need Dom Cheek to be that third person or probably the second guy. Yeah, I mean, you just hate to see the star players and guys that you you need to rely on disappear uh, for long stretches like they did. So you you, you got to see Dom uh, get it back together um, starting in uh, starting in December. But and you know, Scott, another team that uh, has really been struggling is uh, is the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah, and they took a really bad loss, in my mind, to a Marshall team that's 5-0. and um, And, you know, for all intents and purposes, might compete for the championship in the Conference USA tournament. But they, Cincinnati has got to start putting teams away. And the thing that's the takeaway for me is they're getting zero production out of their bench. And I don't know if they're going to be able to get away with wins at a consistent basis if they're only getting six points from their bench players. Maybe James Sutherland and Michael Carter-Williams and Mookie Jones from Syracuse, these guys are only getting five, six, seven minutes a game. I'm sure they would gladly uh, take an offer from Mick Cronin and the Cincinnati club to go and and, and, and play in Cincy and and, and get uh, 20 or 25 minutes. Because, uh, that would help everyone, absolutely. That help everyone. These guys want to see playing time. Bayheim's not providing it to him. It's 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 clear now. You can see him him filling out his rotation. Send him out to Cincinnati and get get these guys on the court because whoever's whoever's trying to do it in Cincinnati is is clearly not working. Yeah, and Cincinnati uh, was down by five with only a minute left in in regulation, and they cut it and forced the overtime, and he likes seeing that. But in overtime, Sean Kilpatrick had the ball going going to the lane with 20 seconds left to tie it, and he turned the ball over to this guy, Pitts. And it was a hard thing because it was consistently an issue for the Cincinnati backcourt against the Thundering Herd backcourt. The Thundering Herd. Now... We always say we need more from the bench. But my question for you, Scott, is this. Is Yancey Gates not maximize? Is he not reaching his full potential? He puts up a good 16-7, and 17-8, game in and game out. 
is this guy good enough to start getting up? You you rarely see him have a 20-point game. And I think with his body and his size and his skills and his maturity, be uh, uh, him being a senior now, I think he's got to he's got to notch it up uh, another level if if this team wants to be who um, who they were hyped up to be to start the year. You know, I always think it's it's part of the team atmosphere that everyone needs to pick up the slack, and that includes Gates going from what is regular box score line is 17 and 7 or whatever to you know 22 and 8 or 22 and 9 I think that's very important but Mm -hmm. everyone's got to be able to pick it up and it's not just Yancey Gates and it's not his reaching his maximum potential that is keeping Cincinnati down to 4 and 2 so far yeah they uh but I still I I would really want to see Yancey Gates uh elevate his game and, and get to where uh get to where I think he, he can go and where Mick Cronin, uh, I think Mick Cronin really wants to see a little bit more more production out of him. Um, another team that, yeah, they're disappointing. They showed flashes of brilliance uh, in, in spurts, but... Really disappointed. To, uh, consistency is, is not their strong point, and that is the St. John's Red Storm. On Saturday, they went down to Northeastern, Jim Calhoun's former team. They went down 78-64. to this really wasn't a close game. Northeastern, I, I watched uh, a little bit of this, the first half, Scott, and Northeastern scored 16 points, I, I want to say, in, in the first four minutes, and it's just lazy, lazy defense, being out of position. Uh, a really, St. John's is known for these bad starts. They, for whatever reason, can't get up for these, these uh, lesser-known teams. They dig themselves a hole, and... With such a young ball club, uh, it's tough for them because they're going to make mistakes. We we know that because they're so young and inexperienced. It's tough for them to make these these big to consistently make these big comebacks. But when they know that you know you're going to see the turnovers and you're going to see the the mistakes, the you know not being in position on the on the glass and being being out of position in the zone, you, you can't get off to these slow starts that they're getting, Scott. Yeah, it's really brutal. And what I'm looking at is that they don't shoot efficiently from the field and they don't get to the free throw line enough to make up for that. Mm -hmm. I don't get why Mo Harkless is taking tons of jump shots. He should be slashing to the basket on every possession when he touches the ball. Um, I don't know why he's not getting as many touches. You know, Nerdine Lindsay is a guy that we've talked about a lot here. He turns the ball over way too much. It's all about these little inefficiencies that add up at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think Harkless is getting getting his touches. He he took ten shots from the field. Um, it looks like they're they're moving. I think it was a good move. They moved uh, God's gift Achua to the bench. And last week, Scott, we were talking. Where is you know where is God's gift gone? He's disappeared. Yeah, kind of like. Kind of like uh, Dom Cheek. Yep. He came off the bench. I think he that that might be what he needs to get going. He had a real nice game. Um, you know, he still he'll still log the minutes. It's not like he wasn't playing at all. He got thirty eight minutes. Put up seventeen points, nine boards, four blocks. That's what you want to see out of him. Um, but outside of Harkless, Achua, and Lindsey, especially on on rebounding, you are seeing 
absolutely nothing, no contribution, or um, it's almost as if these other guys are indifferent. They just think that they don't need to rebound. Uh, Case in point, uh, Phil Green, Malik Stith, Dominique Harrison, and Sir Dominic Porter only grabbed six rebounds out of them combined in in um, these guys almost log a, logged a hundred minutes between them. And we talked about Sir Dominic Porter being a, a defensive stopper and a, and a yeah, crazy man rebounder. And where where is he gone? Yeah, I mean, they just didn't rebound at all in this game. And it's a real shame because this was a, this was a game where if they did rebound and they did shoot a little bit better they could have easily walked away with a with a sort of an easy victory and in this case they I don't I don't know what to make this St. John's team they're very inconsistent they're very young and it shows on game in and game out yeah and I th- I want to you want to see the the guys that were ineligible this first semester the freshmen I think they need that that uh, depth and that length to come back. I don't think they're going to get all those guys back, but even if they get one of them, it's it's going to because I think those were mainly interior guys. Yeah, it'll help out big time. It would help out tremendously. So moving on uh, to the Louisville Cardinals, who actually got a win, and it's it feels good to talk about a team that that really won this break, but they beat Ohio by five. Um, you know, Ohio was actually up by six points with four minutes left in this game, and then Louisville came ro- roaring back and took down uh, the Bearcats of Ohio by five points. So it's really nice to see that they had that gusto and that sort of that character-building win to come back in, in such dire times to beat the Ohio team. That's usually They usually run out a decent squad. The, all those Mac teams are are scrappy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was uh this was a knock them down, slug them out uh, affair. Scored in the four fifties, uh, fifty nine to fifty four. Uh, defensive struggle. Um, I think that's what characterizes this Louisville club. They're not. Uh, I don't. They they don't have the flashiness and the offensive brilliance that. We're gonna see out of out of UConn and Syracuse this year. They're just gonna they're gonna wear you down. They're gonna beat you up, and and that's what they did. They they uh, brought it back with four minutes left and and uh, and pulled it out. And it's nice to see that uh, Peyton Siva came back from uh, from injury. I don't I don't think he played that well, Scott, but. No, he didn't, real- but he's important to have a guy out there to be their leader behind Couric, you know? Absolutely. And, um, you know, with, with all these injury issues, uh, can they win? You know, they're able to come back and beat Ohio and beat Butler from, from last weekend. But with these injury issues and depth issues, are they going to be able to get past the really good ball clubs as uh, as the year goes along? You know, I think they certainly have a very good chance to. Uh, they have a great team. It's very deep. It's not as deep as Syracuse, but it's probably deeper than any other team in the Big East. Uh, Shane Bennon's been really good so far. This guy Dang had. I think I think you you definitely bought your yeah. Name. <laughs> I think that's just. I, that, I think that was your first your first stab at, it and you you. Uh, <laughs> 
you weren't <laughs> successful as as uh a yeah it's it's not going to be an easy one we might just call him shane by the end of it um but i know mm-hmm. dang had 10 offensive rebounds and he's been a four so far and kyle curick's been someone who's just been mr consistency for that squad and siva's going to be a guy that they really need to be the guy at point guard and I think he's he's well on his way to doing that this season. Yep, we everybody needs the guy. Exactly, exactly. And Pitt, you know, moving on, uh, Pitt, another ranked team that took care of business, and it's and it's all as we've seen this this early in the year. They don't have to look pretty because enough teams are going down that all you need to do is is take care of business and and win. I don't care how it happens, where it happens, how it's done at the at the end of 40 minutes or even overtime, you need to win. And Pitt did that against Penn. They won 78 to 58 on Wednesday night and then uh, last night, which is Sunday night, we're recording this on uh, Monday morning. Pitt beat uh, Robert Morris, which is a uh, a Pittsburgh foe of theirs, Bobby Moe as we call around here. They beat them 81 to 71. And the themes that that I take out of these these two games, Scott, were this. Lamar Patterson was uh, on a two-game suspension for violation of team rules. Not good. I always want to know it's very ambiguous and and bland. I don't I don't know what it was he did. I'd really like to know what the violation was because I always um, I'm curious like that <laughs> and uh I just want to know what 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 are the good team rules violation stories that you, that you've seen over the years? I mean, what 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 ones are uh, amusing to you? Oh, I think they're all amusing. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head that I remember to be particularly amusing. But you know, a lot of them are just those they get caught smoking weed in the dorms or something. You know. Yeah, two two game suspension, slap on the wrist. It was it was probably nothing nothing too serious, uh, but it's it's just it's just being stupid and undisciplined. And you'd like to see him, uh, it, especially Lamar. He was playing so good, and I would hate to see this this be uh, you know him regress. And and you know he was he was taking steps forward. And you would hate to see this. Uh, uh, take him back anyway. So that was yeah. one thing. And you got um, him. You got him sitting out for a suspension. You got your man Dante Taylor, who's acting like he's seventy years old, sitting out with a migraine. He is. I can't tell if he's uh, seventy or sixty, but he's he's approaching retirement age because last year, as Scott and I were talking earlier, he had some sort of itis, tendonitis, <laughs> arthritis, something with the knees, and. For a dude that's nineteen or twenty years old, that that really shouldn't be happening this early on. And then it's got the itis, out, the itis. And then these last this last week, these last four or five days, Dante was out with migraine headaches. And I'm so I'm I'm sure they were painful. I'm sure that they were. Uh, I, I've never really had migraines, so migraine headaches. So I can't speak on it, but. It just sounds like oldness and, and uh, his body's breaking down and, and he's 20 years old. I mean, come on, Scott. Yeah, I know it. But, you know, a guy that was really impressive who's also, you know, 18 or 19 and acts you, like youth that has been served. is uh, Kem Birch. He had a nice game for you guys. Yes, and do you know what the definition of, a, of, of, of Birch is? Uh, I believe it's a type of tree, 
right? Yep, it's a slender, not only just a tree, it's a slender, fast-growing tree. Ah. And that's just like Kem Birch's game. Um, these last these last few games, he he had a double-double. His first double-double of his career, he notched uh, 15 and 10 against Penn the other night. Nice. At the Palestra. And then, last night against Bobby Moe, the, the guy had six blocks. So, showing a little bit of Fab Mellowish with the shot-blocking ability. Showing some scoring production against Penn, which we haven't seen uh, from Dante Taylor. So he's slowly but surely uh, morphing into that that player that uh, we all were were hoping for. And um, you want to see Dante come back, but but uh, I'd I'd be more than uh, willing to see Cam Cam keep playing as he does. Yeah, the Panthers really took care of business by beating Penn and Robert Morris. And uh, a team that also sort of took care of business was the DePaul Blue Demons. They went uh, 2-1 and one in their three-game stretch. They lost to Minnesota by 86-85 in their opening game. And then, and then beat Texas Tech 76-70 and Arizona State 68-64. Yeah, Scott, you can't ask much more from from DePaul with um, the the struggles that they've had the last few years, right? I mean, they played all Power Six conference teams yep. in Minnesota, Texas Tech, and Arizona State, and for these guys to come out two and one after this after this weekend, I would have to say, just as we talked about Georgetown, even though they they ended up two and one and they took a fifth place in Maui, I would consider this this uh, this weekend a week. To we- slash weekend a success for the Blue Demon. Oh, certainly. And, you know, they probably should have beaten Minnesota if not for an iffy offensive charge call on Cleveland Melvin as he was going up to take the lead with 14 seconds left. Mm-hmm. Um, DePaul really led most of the way until about nine minutes in the second half. They were up by about double digits. And they so they were in it. They could have won it. And we like to see that from a team that we really didn't expect too much from in the beginning of the season. But they're getting contributions from everyone, including or led by Cleveland Melvin and Brandon Young, who, you know, they're they're just going to work every single game. And I think that's the main takeaway from these these three games. Yeah, and what that 14-point collapse, was it a series of turnovers on DePaul's side, was it a uh, they started raining in threes on the Minnesota side? Was it dumb fouls? Uh, it was or, or Minnesota's was big man. It was Minnesota's big, big man that okay. sort of took over the game and actually accounted for about sixty percent of the scoring for uh, oh, wow. the Golden Gophers. So that's something that we should look look for going forward. And the scary thing about that is Chris Faber and. Their other guy, uh, Moses, really had a hard time in some of these games uh, getting rebounds and and being a consistent contributor on both sides of the glass. Uh, It was, they need to be able to rebound and score from the low post, both of them, uh, and it wasn't a consistent deal. So another team that somewhat kind of took care of business, uh, you could say that, was the South Florida Bulls. They... They beat who was on their schedule while while they weren't very good. Uh, they got it done. They beat Georgia Southern, sixty six to forty six, and then they beat Florida Atlantic over the weekend, sixty eight to fifty five. And 
a few things of note uh, from these guys. Augustus Gilchrist Scott is is still out with that shoulder injury, which is, you know, it's good that they're playing these these types of teams because they they don't need him to 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 close out these teams. But I I I gotta be concerned with with uh, with with the Bulls not having Gilchrist. Yeah, Gilchrist is our most important player. Uh, you like to see that they won these two games that they were supposed to win with Gilchrist, even though he wasn't in the lineup. So. I do think that when they start playing harder opponents and, and better guys, that bigger guys down low, USF is definitely going to struggle with that. But for now, let's see if they can just survive, you know? Exactly. And they had a, uh, Anthony Collins, a little um, point guard, freshman point guard debuted uh, the other night. And looks like he's going to be their best um Disher, the the best assist man for these guys. So it's going to be good to give uh, Levante Doherty and especially Blake Nash. It looks like rather than him play the point, it looks like Anthony Collins is going to play a lot of point, bringing the ball up the court and allow uh, Nash, who is emerging as more of a scorer than a passer, to play that off guard position. So it's it's nice to see. Uh, you know, even though Gilchrist went down, they they added uh, you know someone someone uh, over the over the last week. Yeah, I think that it's it's really great to have another guard for these guys because I think they're to be frank, they're gonna need it. And mm-hmm. Victor Rudd is he's my bugaboo at this point. He's just so inconsistent in his shooting, but he keeps putting up all these big gaudy numbers he had 17 points in their opening game against georgia southern and you know they he put in 11 against florida atlantic as well but uh it's he's bothering me yeah he's he's the old bugaboo team i think we're gonna have to compile that one and i think nerdine Lindsay will be on yeah i think so too you know, he kind of reminds me of uh, of a peacock as well. Oh yeah, uh, kind of like those. Yeah, kind of like those St. Peter's peacocks who who went down to uh, Seton Hall. Uh, it was a battle of Jersey schools. I believe Northern Jersey schools. Yep. I think St. Pete's is up there around the hall. Tough game for for the Pirates. It was a sixty three to fifty four affair. Um, you know, I can just we can just put this thing on. Uh, you know, robot and on uh, recording. You know, what am I going to say, Scott? Every every single time when we when we get to these Seton Hall guys. Well, you need a double double out of Herb Pope, baby, and you got and it. Guess what? Guess what? He got it. Yes, sir. And that's why the Seton Hall Pirates won. Uh, Herbie had a nice game with 16 points and 14 boards, six of them offensive. Uh, he won Big East Player of the Week. I don't know when that actually came out, but it was nice to see him. Him get some hardware. Got some respect. I like it. Actually, you probably don't get hardware for that. Maybe uh, get a little. Maybe a, a little certificate. Maybe, a, maybe yeah. Maybe a belt or something. Uh, <laughs> be nice. What like a WWF belt? Yeah. I, I the reason I said that was because the Aaron Rodgers commercial was on so much this weekend. The, the State oh, Farm yeah. commercial and uh, my little cousins and other people were asking why he does that move. You know why that why the moves made and, and he does that after he scores every time. So that just made me, uh, you know, when, when people win things, a, a belt is sometime, uh, sometimes handed out. <laughs> I think the That'd be awesome. Biggie should start doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, the fighting Fuquans really, uh, took it to St. Peter's and, and got a nine point win. So we like to see this from, uh, 
I think my favorite team in the Big East this season is, is going to be Seton Hall. They're, they're an underdog squad with guys that I can get behind, and Jordan Theodore had a not so great of a day, huh? Yeah, he he uh, he he can get to the hole. He can get to the rim. He's not always going to make the shots, but uh, you know he did have ten assists, five turnovers. He came with it. He generated three steals. So the guy can do a lot, uh, good and bad. Uh, he can you know he can create his own shot. He can he can uh, drop it down low to Pope, but he's going to make some mistakes along the way. You know, this team, you know what you're getting. Um, I don't think they're going to be great, but you know that Herb Pope is going to be a monster down low. You know that Theodore is going to be wild and, and, and reckless all over the court. And you know Fuquan is going to be the, you know, the Fuquanator. Um, yes, sir. And I, what, what a, I think we can really be creative with, with some nicknames with this guy. What, what are some of the ones that you're, you're thinking of? I just like calling them the fighting Fuquans. I I, th- I think that's really good. So you're but, saying that the team in general, you're, yeah, you're, you're branching absolutely. outside of just Fuquan. Oh yeah, but okay. it's definitely got to be something with the Q, you know? Yeah, I, I like the maybe the Q factor. I like the Fuquanator. Maybe his Fedwinness. <laughs> Fuquan Fire, the Fedwin okay. Reserve. I like Fuquan Fire. That's a that's a pretty good one. Okay. Well. uh... And then Jordan Theodore, uh, you know, he had some humble pie this this Thanksgiving, uh, as he tweeted out the other night. I played like shit, but we got the win. So, hey, if the guy doesn't have a good uh, a good outing, he'll be the first one to uh, to admit it on the on the on the twitters. Yeah, and he he's taking that senior leadership role, and and you like to see someone taking accountability for what happened in the game. And someone who seems like they aren't taking accountability is Bryce Cotton for the mm-hmm. Providence College Friars. He had six points in two games over the five days that we had off, um, which basically led to two losses to Iowa State 64-54 and to Northern Iowa 79-62. Uh, the Iowa State game was close for quite some time. Uh, all the way down to the last couple minutes, but uh, the Cyclones sort of pulled away at the end, whereas the Northern Iowa Panthers really just took it to Providence from the beginning, and that game wasn't very close. Yeah, that's really concerning about Bryce Cotton. Scott, and what, do, you, do you see any reasons why? Was it uh, one of those preseason tournaments where they're on the road. It's it's a it's a different setting. He 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 wasn't comfortable. Or is is this going to continue throughout the year? Well, in the second game, he really just didn't shoot that much. And in the first game, I think he he only went two of eight. And he seems to be more of a jump shooter. He doesn't really get to the free throw line. So when he's not hot, I don't think he, he's going to take a lot of shots, and he's going to defer to his teammates. So I would like to see him get a little couple confidence baskets, you know, get to the rim, get a couple layups, get to the free throw line, get, you know, jump shooters sort of need to get to the free throw line to get a little bit of a rhythm going. And I don't see that happening for Cotton, so I, I, I really want to see that going forward. Yeah, uh, tough, tough losses for Providence. You, I would have liked to see them get uh... – Get one win out in this uh, South Padre Invitational. It sounds like it's a 
a tournament that is in the Caribbean or it's it's one of these tropical tournaments in Maui or or this it's probably on South Padre Island, the huh? Virgin Islands. But this is uh, this is out in Iowa. Very misleading uh, tournament. When these kids thought they were going somewhere somewhere special and warm for the holidays, oh no, they were going to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, not good. A little bit of uh, misadvertising for. Uh... For this tournament, but absolutely, and another team, uh, you know, Providence struggling. Another team that's really hurting and 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 not looking very good is Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers loses to Richmond, fifty-eight to fifty-three. This is another team along with St. John's that is known for slow starts. They trailed seventeen to two after starting the game, going one for twelve from the field. That's awful. A young team, any young team that digs themselves in these kind of holes, it's so hard to recover because these guys make make mistakes and turnovers, and they're not good at <laughs> they're just really not good at scoring, Scott. And uh, I, these these guys are I haven't watched much of them, but I'm not excited. These guys are boring. Um, I, I, I hate. <laughs> I hate to to rip on them, and and they're just not a fun team to watch, and and they they don't they're not good at scoring. Hey, listen, you got to get excited about Big East basketball, whether it comes in the form of the Connecticut Huskies or Rutgers Scarlet Knights. You know, they don't score particularly well, but they are a fun team to watch. I like no, getting come behind. On. The, yeah, you think they're fun to watch. I I do. I like seeing the effort out of Gilfitas Baruta. Night in, night out. I like him scraping for rebounds. Uh, you know, Mac and Dane Miller on good nights can get to the rim if they choose to. Unfortunately, the two of them and Eli Carter just settle way too many for outside jumpers and hope yeah. that the ba- the balls go in the basket. And, you know, there there is a takeaway that's positive from this game is Richmond's a pretty good team. And, they were up seventeen to two, and Rutgers cut it to a five-game, uh, five-point deficit at the end of the game. Was, uh, you I think there's something the to be said lining. about that. You're right. Yeah, come on. They would be, be a fun. They'd be a fun team to watch if if they had won fifty-eight to fifty-three. But when when they're on the losing end of a fifty-eight to fifty-three game, yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch some other games. You know, hey, at least we know Mike Rice is getting fired up. He is. And you've got to strike a balance. Three technicals in six games is. I think you might be overstepping. Uh, he's that fiery, in your face. You know, go get him. Uh, you know, trying to trying to spark the the young troops and get them going. But three technicals and in, in uh, you know a technical every two games is a lot, Scott. Yeah, What's your but. Take? Well, I'm hoping I, I, I can see him throw a chair onto the court yeah. at some point this season. I mean, I want him to do something outrageous and get to that Bobby Knight territory. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's got Bobby Knight in him. But yeah, some any any sort of chair or objects uh, involved would would be quite entertaining. Certainly, certainly, and then. Uh, two game, two teams that didn't play uh, over these five days were the Marquette team and and West Virginia. Both of them, uh, or Marquette plays tonight against Jacksonville, who's two and three, and there's not really much to say about that. So hopefully Marquette can continue to uh, to win there. 
And West Virginia played Pitt in that backyard brawl football game on Friday night, and it was one of the uglier games that you could watch on the docket over the four days of tons of football from Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, pretty gross. Uh, I was I was here in Pittsburgh watching the game, and all the Pitt uh, the Pitt folk. Uh, Pitt alums are are fed up and disgusted with Tino Sinceri's play, the the quarterback for Pitt, and it's Todd Graham. Uh, it do, doesn't Tino's quarterback style does not fit Todd Graham's um, his system and his scheme. So something's got to give, and uh, I think we're going to see changes heading into next season. But uh, the players, uh, the players from Feast Week that we thought were deserving of uh, some hardware from the six overtimes podcast. Um, yeah, we could give out belts. Yeah, we'll give out belts. Uh, we'll 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 dress something up with. Uh, maybe it'll be like a digital, uh, you know, like a virtual good. I don't think we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put something in Photoshop and and send it out to the uh, send it out to these guys, and maybe we'll deliver it to them over Twitter. Send them Sounds a, good. Send them a, a, but my player of the weekend was had to be Dion Waiters from Syracuse. Uh, he did make the all preseason NIT team, which is a heck nice. of a heck of an award. This guy coming off the bench, uh, he is another guy that lost some weight. Um, everyone was talking about Fab Mello losing weight, but little do they know that Dion Waiters shed some weight from last year and. That guy gets up the court like you wouldn't believe. I watched him in the VTech game. Didn't get to watch much of the Stanford game, but he played well in that. Um, also, gets up and down the court really well. Can get to the hole, get to the rim really well. And it, you know, if if he's stuck in the air and, and can't get a shot up, he 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 has really nice vision and, and dishes off to guys. But he's getting a lot of minutes. Um, he actually saw more time, Scott, than than Scoop Jardine. And taking a lot of minutes away from Michael Carter Williams and some of those other guys, so I don't I don't know what his final box score numbers were. That's that's um, not the most important thing. But this guy played awesome. I really like his game. Yeah, and he's going to be a consistent force for the Orange all year. And that backcourt is continually being impressive, regardless of if it's Waiters or Scoop Jardine or or what have you. But night in night out, they've been. Uh, performing very well. My player of Feast Week was another was a big man, uh, Henry Sims over from Georgetown. He went for 24 and 8 in a surprise upset victory against the Memphis Tigers. And you know, I, I think that it's very important for the Georgetown team to get off and get a couple of these marquee wins, especially when they played Kansas so well and couldn't get a win out of it. I like this team, and I like how Henry Sims played, and that's why he's getting my championship belt for uh, the past week. All right, so uh, looking forward to a couple of the games that are going on tonight. We got five Big East games for Monday, uh, November 28th. But the biggest game is Louisville versus Long Beach State at 7 o'clock. That's on ESPNU. You guys will remember Long Beach State was the team that took down Pitt on their own on their own court earlier in the season, uh, and they're a team that's very athletic, very polished, very well coached. I like Long Beach State to uh, to really push Louisville, especially who has a couple guys out with injury. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Casper Ware and Peyton Siva matchup, uh, where. 
quick, you know, quicker than hell. Gets up and down the court like you wouldn't believe. Siva with his uh, hobbled ankle. It's going to be interesting to see how he can, if he can keep up with with Ware and um, Russ Smith. Will, will they'll probably be putting him on on Ware as well. They may even play a little zone to to slow him down and contain him. Um, but Long Beach State has they they beat Pitt. I think they can they can hang with anyone, but they lost to San Diego State right after the Pitt game in overtime, and then they lost to Montana in their most recent game. So they don't have all the consistency in the world. Uh, have a have a boatload of talent and experience, and it's gonna be a to me a great game tonight, uh, tonight, Scott. I'm 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 pretty psyched uh, psyched for that. And you're taking, um, looking at the gambling angle on it, you're gonna try and seriously redeem yourself because you just had an <laughs> atrocious stretch. Uh, you went zero and four over the. Uh, over the the uh, the feast the feast break and and probably a little tryptophan, um, you know your your mind wasn't clearly <laughs> clearly thinking yeah. straight and all that all the clarity was there. But you're taking uh, I think the spread's nine and a half. And what is your lock on that game? Uh, I'm gonna take Long Beach State at nine and a half. I I know that they lost San Diego State and Montana, but I think that they'll keep this game close because they're going to get up for such an important yep. game that's nationally televised, especially what they did with Pittsburgh. I think they're going to try to repeat that this year or tonight. Um, I think 9.5 points is a big number as well, and Louisville's banged up, so that's what I'm rolling with. Roll with it. Yeah, hopefully I can... Uh, get back on the wagon and get a couple wins here never want to fall off the wagon <laughs> yeah well thanks again for uh stopping by the six overtimes podcast uh we here are on the wagon at six overtimes at gmail.com uh, you can also visit our website at six overtimes.us and find us on itunes uh under the podcast section we're also on Twitter at Six Overtime, so feel free to hit us up at any point with uh, what we're talking about. You know, just if you have any questions, you want to talk Big East hoops, we're we're here for that, and we'll gladly talk about it. All right, thanks again for Chaz Wagner. I'm Scott Wildermuth. Peace. Later.